We pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Did you forget that we're in a series where we're studying the hard truths of Jesus? Or was that kind of impossible once you heard the gospel reading this morning? Because I just want to make sure you heard what Jesus said in that second verse. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Hate. A hard word, Jesus. And were you all listening to that gospel reading today? Because I seem to see husbands and wives sitting together, friends. I see families sitting together. And I heard lots of joyful chatter out there in the gathering space before worship, myself included. And you know what? Just a couple weeks ago, we even had a family game night here at church where food was being served, kindness was being shown. I mean, you even stuffed my pantry when I came down here. That was really nice. Thank you. But were you doing what Jesus tells us to do today? Because you heard the words. Jesus tells us to hate what we love, even our own life. But Jesus, what about love your neighbor as yourself? What about husbands love your wives or all those blessings of children and encouragements to be kind? If you're thinking like that, good. That's great biblical interpretation. You're letting scripture interpret scripture. That's awesome. But we still have these words of Jesus before us today. And we shouldn't soften them too much. As he tells us, and you heard them, to hate even what we love. We have these strong feelings of love towards certain people and things God has put into our lives. But maybe this is where that mystery loving hatred is coming out. Because do we ever let those feelings blur or maybe even outrank our love for Jesus? Because in that case, there's danger. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. In a speech he was giving to his disciples in Matthew 10, before they went out on a vicar year of sorts, Jesus says this same truth, but in a little different way. He says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus wants our undivided love. He wants us to love him first and even put those we love most, the things we love most, second. In fact, our love for him should be so great that our love for everything else should be like hatred in comparison. And you see that word hate that he uses here, it's not about feeling and emotion like we often make the words love and hate to mean. But no, like how true love is goes beyond feelings. Even when we feel like we don't want to love, we still commit, we still care, we still show love. And that's what God does for us. The word hate here is similar. It's acting contrary to what we feel. Even as much as we feel like we want to make those other things in our lives our first love, 
We renounce those. We set those aside, literally. And that's that loving hatred. And we keep Christ as the top of our love. And that's not easy. But maybe it is easy to say on paper to, be, to say, well, God is the center of my life. I, I love Christ first, and that, that's where I build. I start there. But Jesus' hard words cause us to take a self-examination. And often I find my actions tell a far different story. Do we ever hear a loved one or a friend taking the Lord's name in vain repeatedly or talking down about God, but we don't speak up because we're afraid of the shame? Maybe they'll mock us, cut us off. Are we afraid to speak up to a child or a family member who's struggling with a certain sin and needs to hear the truth, needs to hear law and gospel, but we're afraid they'll turn their back on us, forget us, cut us off completely? Or are we so distracted when God's word is shared, when we're reading God's word by the game this afternoon, by the items on the after church shopping list, or whatever we wish we were doing right now, then does our love for those things and those people and those relationships outrank our love for Jesus? Or prayerfully not, if we were to lose a dear loved one to death and then in the process, in the aftermath, in our hate and anger at God, lose our faith, then did our love of that person outrank our love for Jesus to our own destruction. You see what Jesus has done here? These hard words he gives us drive us to our knees for forgiveness. But do you see what he's done? It's because of his great love that he's able to tell us what we don't want to hear. It's because of his great love that he's able to speak up when we're not able to and tell us these hard words, to tell that big crowd these hard words, even though it meant some would surely walk away from him and cut him off. It's because of his great love that he wasn't distracted like us, even though he had heavenly riches and glory and that long list of things that God is and does, but he was not distracted, no. In unwavering commitment, he came here to take up a cross, to give up everything, his life, his relationship with the Father, to take up a cross and to love what we so often hate, a cross for us. Even while we were still sinners, he loved us. Jesus is committed to us. And so now he tells us that he wants our commitment, our total commitment, because he was committed to us. And he doesn't want us to lose those benefits that he won for us by his commitment. Because you see, Jesus bore more than just the weight of the cross on his shoulders, but he bore our sins, our guilt, and all those failures to commit to him. And he died the death that we should have suffered. But his death made our death powerless. His rising made our rising guaranteed. And now his love for us inspires and empowers us to love him more. 
And because Jesus has done all this, that's why he can say to us what verse 27 says. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Since Jesus took up his cross, it's a follow thing. He took up what we so naturally hate and what he had every right to hate too. Suffering and ridicule and scorn and pain. But he took it up because he loves us. And so now he empowers us to do the same. To pick up what we hate, what we so naturally hate, our crosses. To go and follow him. So what are our crosses? Well, the cross is all about self-denial. Denying ourselves our first loves, the things that we want, the things that we perceive we need the most, and always keeping him first, and our love for Jesus first. And perhaps I should reiterate again that it's not easy. Jesus literally calls it a cross. But he lays it all out there for us. And he told that whole crowd that was there following him, we saw in the first verse, they had an uncalculated enthusiasm to follow him. But they didn't know all the costs. So Jesus laid it out for them. Consider the Navy SEALs for an example. It didn't take me long in poking around the Navy SEALs website to find the what to expect section if you're thinking about joining. It lays it all out there. Full truth, full transparency. It tells you about the obstacle courses you'll be running. All of the crazy amounts of running you'll be doing. The drill sergeants, the training in the harshest environments our nation has to offer. And it all culminates in what's called Hell Week. Where you get about four hours of sleep over five days. There's 20 hours of training a day and 200 miles of running. And quote... You will break down physically. It just lays it all out there. Yet people join. People join because they see the worth in it. They see a mission that they can get behind. Something bigger than themselves. Jesus lays it all out for us. The full truth. With full transparency. And we might be tempted by the devil. He whispers to us to look and see how hard it is, how we have to give up our first loves and the difficulties that are going to come. And he says, why would you ever want to do that? But just as a Navy SEAL gets to be called a Navy SEAL and gets all the glory that comes along with that, so Jesus is worth it. And we get to be called Jesus' disciples and all the eternal glory that comes with that. And so we embrace that hardship and inspired by Jesus' love for us, we go and embrace what we naturally hate, our cross, putting our first love second to Christ alone. And that's why he tells us to calculate the cost now. He gave us two illustrations to show that. The first was the builder, right? There was that builder who began a project and laid the foundation and everything, but then was unable to finish, and that brought him much shame and ridicule. Or there was the king. 
the king who had to look before the battle to see if he could beat with only 10,000 the one coming at him with 20,000. Otherwise, he would face utter defeat. And so Jesus wants us to calculate now so that later when those hardships come, when the health fails, when all the money's gone, and when even a loved one dies, our emotions, our feelings, our circumstances, they can cause us to miscalculate later. And Jesus tells us the cost. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus' disciples simply give up for Jesus and keep him first. That's what Jesus' disciples do. That's what we do. And that's where Jesus' last illustration comes in. Salt. You may have wondered when you heard that, how does that fit in, Jesus? Salt? Well, salt is salty. Shocker. Salt salts things. That's what it does. If salt doesn't do its literal one job, it's thrown out. It's good for nothing, Jesus says. Not even the manure pile. Hard words. So hard. But because Jesus loves us so much. You see, salt does what it does. It even has its own verb. It salts things. So Jesus' disciples give up everything for Jesus. It's what disciples do. And so Jesus wants us to know that. So that we aren't called disciples and are unprepared or unaware of what Jesus' disciples do. And he desperately wants us to hear him. And that's why he says, everyone who has ears, or whoever has ears, let them hear. That's his plea. That we would hear him. That they, that crowd, would hear him. Because he loves us. And wants us to be prepared. But we remember that even as we give up everything for Christ, we gain everything. Eternal life, the peace of forgiveness, a forever cross-bearing partner in Jesus. And just as a Navy SEAL for his training hates comfort, puts aside ease, and embraces struggle and hardship, because then that's life-saving in real combat. So we, as Jesus' disciples, we hate comfort and our first loves and embrace struggle and hardship because that's eternally life-saving. And there lies another beautiful scripture truth. That even as we give up everything for Christ, even as we hate even our own lives, as Jesus put it, our lives are saved. And that's why, together as Jesus' disciples, with that confidence and inspired by that love of Jesus, we were able to sing what we sang together in the sermon hymn in verse 3. There we sang, Go then, earthly fame and treasure. Come, disaster, scorn and pain. In your service, Pain is pleasure. With your favor, loss is gain. Those are hard words. But in Christ, 
they're our words. So strengthened by each other, strengthened by the word, strengthened by Christ who we get to follow. We pick up our crosses. We engage our loving hatred. And we go on being Jesus' disciples. And then even as we love the things and the people God has given us, we love Christ always more. Because Christ loves us more. He gave up everything for us. He bore a cross for us. And now we get to bear our crosses with him. In Christ. Amen. And now we'll stand as we say together those words of our, fellow, of our unified Christian faith using the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 